0: Listening to smile.org. Enjoy these Zen inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. For those of you who uh, have kids or are familiar with these things we call kids, <laughs> uh, you're aware of the intensity with which an infant can meet the world. Uh, Right before I came here tonight our baby was in the midst of probably one of the greatest meltdowns I've ever seen. (laughs) It's just priceless and my wife continually reminds me not only through the entire birthing experience but uh, just in general what it is to be a bodhisattva. Now, bodhisattva, in it's a fancy name for a very helpful person, somebody who comes at the world, meets the world from a place of real openness, as opposed to closure. And uh, Cade was crying and crying and crying and crying, and it just got more and more and more intense, and you know, I'm looking at her, I'm sorry, I, I'm i going to go meditate. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be right here. And she looks at our, our child, and she, she just kind of, she looks at her, and she's got this big smile on her face, and she goes, Cade, Cade, the Buddha teaches us that even this is temporary. <laughs> I was like, huh, you yeah. know. Her stock shot way up again, you know. But it's a really remarkable way to get a reminder that there is nothing, nothing that'll stick. That's good in some ways. That means that no matter how awful your situation could ever be, it will not last conversely, no matter how glorious your situation might be, it won't last. Cosmic law. Our task is to be able to meet that law with an open heart, an open mind, with everything we've got, just showing up, not knowing what's going to happen. When we really get to the point where we know that we can't know, we occupy a space that helps others. Say that again. It's really kind of important. When we know that we can't know. We occupy a space that can help others. It means we can meet the world from the chaos, responding appropriately to the chaos, dancing with the chaos. We're partners with the chaos. We're not combatants. We're not at war. We are at peace. And that's what we practice here when we, when we meditate. That's it. We just take 30, 35 minutes and show up to our life without flinching. That's meditation in a nutshell. Oh, I forgot the shut up part. We show up and shut up, <laughs> quite literally, just meeting whatever arises with our full heart and our full mind, not flinching. I think it was Yun Men who said that. It's a great great Zen quote, which was uh When sitting, just sit, when walking, just walk. Above all else, don't wobble. <laughs> know that whatever you face as you sit in a highly prescribed, contained, safe thirty five minutes, whatever it is, it'll pass. It's temporary. No matter how uncomfortable you are, no matter how blissful you are, it'll pass. Get comfortable with that. Get comfortable with that, shall we? Preferences are our guides. It's not that they're good or bad, they're neither. And both, okay? It's a, that's, that's the wrong place to look here. What we are looking at is that our preferences, whatever they might be, this as opposed to that or this slightly over that, that's taking us right into attachment when it actually gains momentum or begins to pull at us. Now I've talked about this a fair amount but I think it's very important for us to recognize that our preferences are our guides. They are our teachers. They can literally just get us right onto the trail that takes us to awakening. Why? Because they show us what we can let go of. Now, you're not going to get many people to, to, you know, just just throw all their uh, uh, preferences out the window and have any type of meaningful awakening, okay? We don't throw our preferences out the window. We study them. We study our preferences. And in the study of our preferences, we begin to uncover what's at their essence, The Buddha taught that the cause to suffering is our clinging. And the minute a preference, which is kind of like attachment light, becomes something we really, really want, we have to have, we crave it, suffering is born. And when we act out of that suffering, we cause damage. Instead of being helpful, to the world, we tend to actually get in our own and others' way of opening. We create, to use the Buddhist term, karma. When we act from a place of small self as opposed to big self, put another way, when we act from a place of attachment as opposed to no real preference. We get in the way of awakening. We create karma. And if you like, uh, one of the words we've been using the last few weeks for karma, another word is tangle. Life's tangle is karma. Karma. awakening or enlightenment brings us freedom from that tangle. It begins to unravel that tangle. And we can do this in a couple of different ways. First, I'm a huge advocate of the the first way, which is through meditation. Meditation, what it actually does is every time that you create that still space, you can uncover something really remarkable if you're alive to it. And that is you begin to become aware of things. You begin to become aware of things. What do I mean by things? Quite literally, all things. Things are what are born out of stillness. Things move things have 3 qualities that you can kind of play with in your head just just consider this for a moment intellectually and then i'll show you what kind of happens to it when you begin to let go of all the intellectual stuff and start to practice it firstly all things are temporary just like we started with tonight we started talking about that all things are temporary nothing lasts. My teacher used to tell me that uh, he said all things, especially people, are 100% totally unreliable. I said, okay, great, pal. Boy, I <laughs> can't wait to practice more of this Buddhism. <laughs> That's it. Rah, rah, go. Yeah, uh, Why the heck would anybody, and his point as he kind of let me shuffle through my little egoic dance telling him why I thought he was a knucklehead was if you think about it all things especially people can be taken from us in fact all people will be taken from us either we will decide we don't want them in our lives anymore we will decide that um uh, they for instance generate too much pain for us so we decide to kind of cut them out the relationship is temporary okay? they may die, we may die it's temporary, they are temporary we can't rely 100% on them now to be fair Every one of us in this room hopefully has someone in their life or a few people in their life that there is a certain amount of reliability, at least above 51%. It's kind of the tipping point where we kind of generate a, a, wholesome, a wholesome relationship with this particular person or particular, particular people. Sometimes it's by choice. Other times it's not by choice at all. It's called this cool thing we call it genetics, Holidays are a particularly good time to recognize your preferences around such individuals. (laughs) But we really do kind of have some reliability, but we don't have total reliability. All things are temporary. Everything is shifting. Everything is shifting constantly. Second quality of all things, in addition to being temporary, is that they're interdependent. They depend on us for their interpretation. Our imputation on a particular thing gives it a certain color, a certain flavor, a certain life. Okay? We impute a reality onto things as something we like, like the vacuum upstairs, which I've learned to love. (laughs) Or something we can't stand. One thing I can't stand, it's just a personal pet peeve of mine. I don't like picking up my dog's poop. It's just one of those things. All right? It's a preference. Okay? Now, if I really attach to it, or if any of us attach to something as silly as that, you really ought to get some help, probably. Uh, It's just the dog's poop after all okay but we start recognizing here that we give things life like we all did at the beginning here tonight when we were introducing ourselves we talked about a preference that we had we give something as inanimate as you know cleaning up after your dog or chocolate or peace or you know some state or something we give that value we crave that value that we've given and in that craving we can generate suffering so all things are temporary and we fight against their temporary nature we want to make them permanent boom suffering can be generated there all things are interdependent they depend on us We depend on them, but we love to think of ourselves as separate from, okay? Lastly, all things are spirit in action. All things are divine. All things are infinite, ultimately. Here again, the Buddha teaches us that if we look at things closely enough, We'll see their temporary nature and recognize it. We will see their interdependence and recognize it. We will see how all things are just empty. All things are a reflection of spirit in its entirety all the time. Here again, intellectually, we might be able to play with this and go, yeah, sure, okay, all right. I guess if you break it down enough, all things, if you chop them up, you get space. You go down to the atomic, subatomic level, it's space. A little bit of matter, lots of space. But the implications of that, in a practical sense, in a non, if you will, intellectual way, are massive. Because the teaching then tells us that everything, essentially, if it's spirit and action, everything, as it is, is inherently perfect. Everything, as it is, is inherently perfect. Egos, at this point, get to see lots of preferences. They get to see attachments. They start saying things like, wait a minute, Darfur, World War I, Uh, Pol Pot in the killing fields war in general are we to assume that all of these things are just fine are we to just sit back (laughs) bliss out in some meditative state and let all this stuff fly and this is one of the great criticisms that's levied against Buddhism um, I think inappropriately But it's a very powerful strike. The news that I take from this, the cool and interesting news that I take from this is that that is absolutely not what Buddhism is. Buddhism is not about letting this stuff happen and then smiling and saying, oh, see, everything's great. Buddhism is about studying your impulse when you see horror. Horror. In other words, if we start seeing that everything is temporary and everything is interdependent and everything is in essence spirit in action, we start looking at that action very, very carefully. And we recognize when we see something that is, if you will, uh, tangled, we recognize, because of our meditation practice, that the tangle comes from a lack of awareness. If we can bring our compassion, in other words, to the tangle, we then give in miraculous ways. We become helpful. We start seeing Darfur, World War I, the killing fields in the Khmer Rouge. We start seeing all that stuff as opportunities For us to deliver what we're learning. This is what bodhisattvas do. Bodhisattvas don't look at the tragedies that befall the world and say, we've got to come up with some type of solution to this. Because some type of solution to this can oftentimes sound like a final solution. Which is just another color of a very, very dark chapter in human history, of a very ugly tangle. We become the tangle we wish to unravel when we do that. So the work is to become aware of. It's to become aware of the mess and look at it as an opportunity to engage so all things are perfect as they are because all things give us an invitation. All things give us an invitation to be bodhisattvas. And as bodhisattvas, we start to recognize that no matter what, no matter how unreliable things might be, no matter how we can't seem to independently exist in ways that, that uh, uh, give us sustenance and give our egos strength, we start to see that all things are perfect as they are. We begin to accept all things as they are and we don't fight them anymore. We engage them. We dance with them. And that's beyond the preference. That's beyond the craving. That's just when we become the infinite that has always already been there. We start to see that enlightenment, awakening, is nothing that is outside of our experience, but rather the core and essence of who we have always been. I'd rather uh, just to... I'm, I'll get to you in two seconds here. want to make sure that... And this is going to sound kind of funny. But really try to phrase it in the form of a question. It's like spiritual jeopardy. Okay? <laughs> try to phrase it in the form of a question. Rather than, here is my observation. Or here is what I see. The reason being, when we phrase it in the form of a question, we actually ask ego to take a seat. If we're recognizing... Our observation, ego is just trying to wear the robe. Okay? So I'm gonna go like this one, two, and three. Alright? You're number one, yes. So how do you do that engaging thing? How do you how do you engage? How do you engage without ego? What how, are you just saying? how do you engage without ego? By listening? by watching instead of by grasping. If you can enter into any type of situation from a place of curiosity and wonder and then respond with that as your core, you've just taken ego out of the picture. Okay? So then, I guess maybe another way of saying this, sometimes we've talked about how we are coming at any and all situations from a non-divided place where it's not me versus that. It's not this subject versus that object. It's, it's all an aspect of the great divine emptiness that we call spirit, that we call God, that we call whatever. And in that space, it gives us much more freedom because we're not bound We're not fighting. We're opening to. And the great sages throughout history have have shown us this time and time again. We do this through loving. By being the change we wish to see in the world. How does that sit with you? I have a particular situation with somebody who... Mm -hmm somewhat close to and I feel like he needs I mean I don't ordinarily think people need my help but in this case he seems to need some help and I'm just trying to Is he asking for your help? In a way Is he asking directly? Then don't help him directly mirror him mirror him among the most helpful things you can do is be with. Be intimate with his situation, but don't take care of by diminishing his ability to see what is. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And that's not ego. That's love. Ego wants to fix him. Right. I understand. Yeah. I'm I understand how to do that. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, that, that's why we call this practice. <laughs> yeah, this is, not, this is not easy. But what you're uh, endeavoring to do here is in, it, increase your consciousness and allow him to increase his. And that is so much more important than making him feel better or making you feel better. Ego wants to feel better. Okay consciousness grows it doesn't diminish it grows okay happiness ebbs and flows happiness is just a uh, just a state consciousness becomes a trait it doesn't it doesn't shift as we enter into the world with a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper or broader and broader and broader consciousness what do we become we become the light that darkness can't handle <coughs> and that, that actually brings up another super quick point which is ultimately if we look at it at this level there's no such thing as evil there's just unconsciousness That's dying for light and that's what we become we become that light when we listen and we watch we don't grasp we don't try to fix we engage tell them I'm not here but, <laughs> Who is number two? Thank you for asking. Yeah. If you have a child, how can you not develop an attachment to your own child? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, Mike. Um, My wife and I actually had a really cool conversation about this uh, the other night as we were just beaten and weary <laughs> you know it's like 3 a.m. you know and i gotta teach in you know, the next morning you know just just this awful thing and what we kind of came up with was the attachment the love is there the wish that she never leaves is there the knowing that she will leave if we do a good job she will leave she will leave the nest and fly, if we do a good job. Right? That's non-attachment. You can't attach to her. Okay? Now, does that mean if she were taken from me, I wouldn't feel grief? You bet I would. I would suffer tremendously, no doubt. All right? Knowing full well that she, as being something separate from me, is just an illusion. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there but that doesn't mean that the illusion of her loss wouldn't be really, really sad. Okay? With that on one level, the next level is, I know because she is temporary, she's interdependent, and she's divine, All right. I know that I can't, nor should I, cling to her. Because if I cling to her, I not only cause my own suffering, but I will certainly cause suffering for my wife, and I most definitely will cause suffering for my daughter. My hope is to do this, is to open and watch her grow. At least that's the plan. Yeah? Attaching would be stopping, would be trying to keep her permanently fixed, and I can't wait till she changes. Especially when she sleeps through the night. <laughs> yeah? Does that kinda of make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Number three was there you were number three? Yes? Yes. But you already answered my question. I did? <laughs> All right. Straight to you, Laura. Um how would you engage with the Khmer Rouge? Wouldn't they just would How would I engage with the Khmer Rouge? What? How would I engage with the uh, kill you? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I heard it said once um, uh probably the best thing, you know, what what would a buddhist do if he were in the presence of Pol Pot or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or you know pick your pick your unconscious historical figure. What would what would a good buddhist do if they had a gun? What a great question. Now, y- I think you're going to find all sorts of different answers for this. If you attach to the precepts, the first one is, of course, do not kill, right? If you attach to the precept, it's no longer a guide, okay? You've killed it, right? So if in no circumstances will I ever, ever kill, you're not dancing with the ebb and flow of the universe in my mind uh... so what i i the argument that i heard that i thought was most most compelling and and seemed to resonate with the teaching more than anything else was you kill hitler with absolute love in your heart (laughs) (laughs) is it helpful is it an appropriate response these are great questions and you have to be in the moment to know what do you do with the Khmer Rouge okay with Khmer Rouge you do not sit down cross-legged like this in meditation hoping that they'll recognize that you know oh what are we doing that's not gonna work okay you're just more you're just more more fodder for the mass grave yeah so I think the answer is something that evolves I'm not trying to dodge it as much as I am just trying to say that the 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 teaching says, don't cling. Yet, there are some really, you know, powerful, powerful rules that we should all, you know, abide by. We don't take what is not given. We don't misuse our sexuality. We don't kill, okay? We don't badmouth people, right? We don't abuse drugs or intoxicants or dharma. We get in a space of non-attachment and then totally engage, and it happens through us. Who knows? Yeah. What's the interconnectedness of poison oak and a hiker? Uh, I'm sorry, poison oak and the interconnectedness between poison oak and a hiker. And a hiker. I guess something that a lot of people would be in agreement as to what the purpose of this thing is. The, Sometimes I have trouble seeing the degrees of separation right. or the degrees of connectedness. Right. the uh, the The best one for the uh, best thing I can come up with for the poison oak. Um, poison oak and hikers, The reason, the interconnectedness between poison oak and hikers, is that poison oak keeps hikers on the damn trail. <laughs> <laughs> You know? And mosquitoes have this amazing way of keeping us humble. Um, quick story uh, one of the most miserable experiences of my entire life was sitting in a forest monastery next to this beautiful limpid pool, right? And I didn't realize that at six o'clock that limpid pool became playtime for millions and millions of bloodsuckers. I didn't really want malaria, so I, like, I covered myself in the uh, like a, a netting, and I put DEET all over my face, and I got this horrible rash, and it was just great for practice. It's great for making sure that whatever kind of achievement I thought I was getting on the cushion was brought right down to the, uh, you know, the fundamentals, which is we share, we share this world with all things. And it got me right in touch with my inner mosquito. That little thing, that little pest in me, all right, that I need to watch. I need to be very, very careful of. Make friends with him. Okay, Um, but I still killed them when they were like landing on my eye. The eyelid was the one that—that's where I really drew the line. I could handle the arm or whatever, but right on the eyelid, "Mm -mm, that's it. And I felt no guilt, except now I do. But. saw a hand I'm sorry was that yes sir can you talk a little bit more about I can't remember about, um, learning or reflecting somebody else or, their or their can help? you can you can help anyone I mean the, the I think the standard pat answer as far as the teaching and karma and all that is concerned you can help best when you become available and compassionate, meaning that their situation could very well be yours, right? So in, an, in a non-attached way, you engage, but you don't try to fix. That's not helpful. What's helpful is, is being the space Wherein they can awaken and you can awaken with them that's the whole of practice that doesn't mean <laughs> don't, don't make this boo boo uh, and go up to them and you can see like they're really struggling and so forth and you just sit there and you kind of go <laughs> you know, you just stare at them <laughs> what are you doing I'm creating space you know that's bizarre it doesn't that's not it what what does what does work though is if you can really listen all any human really wants is to be seen and to be heard because then they can actually let go of the self that's busy defending so really see really see and really hear and forget about trying to fix Fixing is ego, trying to manage a situation and create an outcome that it rarely will get. Or if it does, like all other things, it's temporary, interdependent, and it was divine anyway to begin with. So how is it that we can actually skip that? We skip it by all the mess. We, cre- we untangle, if you will, by being. By being. So listen. Listen and watch. Listen and see. And make sure that the, the thing we call you is not separate from that. That you're actually viewing aspects of yourself within the entire scenario. It's all arising within your awareness. It's all then arising within you. One and two... And then I'm going to give you guys some time just to hang out with each other and say hi. Yes? Oh, um, same, same question. <laughs> same situation. Uh, part of giving them space, er, or he said to, to listen, you know, be available and mirror. Um, you know, sometimes people say to, like if I was talking to you and you were upset about something. Just the mere, like my, my acknowledging, oh, you seem to be really angry. Or, yeah, that must be so hard for you. Or that must be so hard for you. Those kinds of things, is that the kind of thing then that gives them space? Yeah, or gives because what you've done is you've validated, validated the fact that a feeling is arising, okay, without trying to adjust it, change it, fade it, or fix it you're validating the person mm-hmm. okay who is having this experience you validated them in a way that allows them to loosen that sense of self a little bit okay perhaps a better way of saying is instead of saying that must be really hard for you oh that sounds so hard because what you, what is uh, directing it back to them right not saying that's hard I'll, for you judgment. that's That sounds so difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then questions, questions that don't lead, but questions that are just, it's in the question. The question is the non-ego. The non-ego is space. What essentially we're doing here in this practice is generating, creating, and resting in space. And so we do that in our relationships as well as best we can through watching and listening no is it a Buddhist's job to help others become more conscious and I would say no it's a human being's job as human beings we share this life and death experience regardless of label as a human being our job is to be helpful okay and that helpfulness takes on two Two different levels according to Buddhist teaching. The first level is to make the person feel good. Okay? But if you really look at it, that's not always helpful. Giving an addict more drug because it makes them feel good means that they never ever get to grow beyond the addiction. Okay? We call that idiot compassion. I was just being compassionate, I was giving them what they wanted. No, we're actually keeping them down. We're attaching. We're putting weight on them. In the bigger sense, our job is to not make people happy. Our job as human beings is to help people become more conscious. And we start here with ourselves. As we become more conscious, that light eradicates darkness automatically automatically. It's not about doing anything, it just happens. It takes care of itself. So go be that light. (laughs) Yes, ma'am.